A very warm welcome to you all from Worcester Talking News, brought to you in conjunction with Worcester News and the Equipment Services for the Visually Impaired. Today we're bringing you news from Friday the 16th of February to today, February the 22nd. Our team today are Sue Perry, Peter Carter, Lynn Seymour and myself, Kate Hudman. Our engineer is Barry Hurd and all the administration and copying is done by Carol Hurt-Hartle and her very, very hard-working team who endeavour to make sure the wallets reach you as soon as possible. The service is entirely free to you all and includes also a monthly magazine and the availability of talking books, which you may easily request by telephone or by a little note in your wallet when you're returning your memory stick. And on the subject of memory sticks, um, I have a little note from, from Carol, a very polite request that um, would you um, please return the memory sticks as soon as you can, as quickly as you can, um, because if you don't return um, two, uh, then you won't be receiving any further recordings until uh, you know, they find the two uh, you've been sent out prior to that have been received back. If you have a problem, don't hesitate to give us a ring on 01905 76 and leave a message and we'll, we can get back to you then. Uh, anyway, that's back to that. Uh, we endeavour to do all we can to assist you and we do love to hear from you with comments, good or not so good. Not so good, we don't like the not so goods, but we'll, we'll take it on the chin. Um, donations, of course, are always very gratefully received, as well as requests too. Our birth birthday book is now open and I'm going to ask Peter to take a look and see whose birthday it is this week. And Lynn will follow with local entertainment. Good evening. 26th of February is Harry Wardle. 1st of March, Michael Wynne. 2nd of March, Marjorie Pierce. 3rd of March, Stanley Burden. Happy birthday to you four. Happy birthday, everybody. Now, Lynn. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm starting this evening with Malvern Theatre. And on Tuesday the 12th till Saturday the 16th of March, they've got Oh, What a Lovely War. The evening performances are 7.30 and the matinees are 2.30. They also have... Sorry, I'm trying to turn pages. Um, Hello Again, and that's a Neil Diamond songbook tribute. And that is on the 7th of March, which is a Thursday, and it's at 7.45. Next we've got Droitwich, and the first thing I need to mention to you is that there's free music every week. People can enjoy free live music, which is set to take place on a weekly basis in the Lido Park in Droitwich. And they will be hosting a free brass band performances at the bandstand. And each Sunday it will start from April the 28th to September the 15th. And a different brass band will play from 2.30 onwards every week. The performances are scheduled and organised by Droitwich Spa Town Council. And Droitwich Spa Town Council has warned that the programme may be subject to change. The Norbury Theatre at Droitwich, um, we've got on the 2nd of March, the performances are 2pm and 6.30, and on the 3rd of March, 2pm and 6 o'clock, the Worcestershire Theatre Festival. So that's groups of amateur companies doing performances. At number 8 in Pershaw, 
Joe Caulfield, Here Comes Trouble. She's an award-winning comedian. And she's on Friday the 8th of March at 7.30 and on Tuesday the 26th of March at 7.15 and also on Sunday the 7th of April at 2pm the Royal Opera are performing Madama Butterfly. Then we come to Worcester. Two things to mention in Worcester. There's a fundraising history talk. A history talk will be taking place at the Hive to raise money for a charity that works with deaf and blind children. Bertie Ballinger will host his talk on Victorian Worcester to raise money for the charity Sense. The event is part of Mr Ballinger's London Marathon fundraiser and he's putting on a number of activities to raise money for the charity. Previously, he has also hosted a coffee morning. This event will take place on March the 6th at 6.30pm and it's at The Hive and it will cost £10 per person. Also in Worcester and at The Hive Library, Armitage to visit The Hive. Poet Laureate Simon Armitage will be coming to a city library as part of a UK tour. Simon Armitage will be appearing at the Hive in the Butts on Saturday, March the 9th. He will be giving readings and using the alphabet as a compass. His journey will celebrate the library as one of the great and necessary institutions. Um, booking for the event is essential and tickets are now available. The tickets are free, but they'll be limited to two tickets per booking and participants will need to be over 11 years of age. If you want a book, it says to book on thehiveworcester.org. Lastly, we've got the Swan Theatre and Huntingdon Hall at Worcester. On Friday the 1st of March at, at 7.30, I beg your pardon, 7.30, there's The Crooners, and it's a comedy music show, a show packed with personality and humour, and it promises to leave audiences laughing at the Swan Theatre next month. Crooners has been wowing audience with its witty and exhilarating show, full of hilarious one-liners, laugh-out-loud silliness and superb musical numbers, with an outstanding nine-piece, the mini big band live on stage. It will pay homage to some of the greatest crooners of all time, with a splendiferous injection of Britishness. It also features humour, tap dance and some of the most quintessential songs from musical icons such as Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. You can book tickets from March the 1st at the Worcester Theatre's box office. On Sunday the 3rd of March at 7.30, again it's the Swan Theatre, Graffiti Classics, 16 Strings, eight dancing feet and four voices with one aim to make classical music wickedly funny and fantastically exhilarating. Also at the Swan, it's a St Richard's Hospice um, presentation. This is Queen, Friday the 15th of March at 7.30. On Saturday the 16th of March at 7.30, Dom Jolly, The Conspiracy Tour. At Huntingdon Hall, um, we have got TV legends joining forces. This is on the 20th of March at 7.30. It's Huntingdon Hall, not the Swan Theatre. And it says, TV legends join forces. 
three major broadcasters from the world of sport and entertainment are to join forces at an event in Worcester. Nick Owen, Patrick Murphy and Jim Rosenthal will host Behind the Mic at Huntingdon Hall, revealing snippets from their distinguished careers, whether it's World Cups, Breakfast Television or the glamour of Formula One. The trio promised to give the audience an exclusive look into behind the scenes of broadcasting. Tickets for the show on Wednesday the 20th of March are available at Huntingdon Hall. And that's it for all the entertainment in Worcester. And now the headlines this week and the stories attached to them. And we'll start with Peter, please. Thank you. Fury over Mayor's meat ban. Move granted discriminatory. A row has broken out after the Mayor of Worcester cut meat from the menu of his reception to protect the planet. As a former city mayor, brands a decision discrimination against meat eaters. Councillor Louis Stephen, the city's Green Party mayor, revealed he decided to remove meat from the food offered at receptions in the Mayor's Parlour at Worcester Guildhall because of the climate emergency. The city's first Green Mayor also urges that plant-based food is more inclusive as many non-Christians do not eat pork. However, Councillor Alan Alan Amos himself tabled a question at Worcester City Council's full council meeting at the City Guild's Hall last night about why meat has been removed, calling the decision outrageous. It is a custom after full council meetings for the councillors to retire to the Mayor's Parlour for refreshments but the Conservative councillor for Bedwardine says it is discrimination not to cater for meat-eaters. Councillor Stephen, a Green councillor for Battenall, said it's the Mayor's prerogative to decide what food and drink will be offered. I'm mindful of the gravity of the climate emergency and as leader I think it's right to highlight the importance of all of us doing what we can to mitigate the seriousness of the emergency by offering plant-based food. Additionally, in sharp contrast with the old practice of offering things like ham sandwiches, plant-based food is far more inclusive. Councillor Amos argues that meat-eaters are about 93% of the population, but alternative provision is invariably made for vegetarians and vegans. He asked in his pre-submitted question, why has a decision been made to deny any choice for the 93% at post-council receptions by instructing that no meat option for the 93% should be provided. Who made this decision? Who else was consulted? Is this another example of the tyranny of the illiberal left? Councillor Amos, who served as Mayor of Worcester between 2014 and 2015, said he always tried to make sure during his term that all were catered for. He added, we always had an option for vegetarians and an option for vegans. Certainly, when I was mayor, I would make sure there was an option for everybody, including vegetarians and vegans. We are not an equal, inclusive and diverse council if we do not provide a choice for everyone. This is not about me. I'm too fat and I eat too much anyway. I just won't go to these events anymore. But the principle is an important one. We can't say we're an equal, inclusive and diverse council if we make a policy decision not to provide any meat option at our catering functions. This is absolutely outrageous. It's discrimination. The full council meeting had not taken place when Worcester News went to press. And then this is the Saturday and Sunday's um, news. Um, 
and it's all about cockroaches made me quit at university. A student was forced to leave university over a disgusting cockroach infestation at her halls and is now and thousands of pounds out of pocket and worried about her future. Rebecca Skeet enrolled in a course at the University of Worcester last September, but by Christmas had taken the difficult decision to leave, partly because of a cockroach infestation at her hall of residence. The 18-year-old, who has now returned home to Norwich, raised her concerns about the insects in Evesham Hall of Residence in St John's campus in Worcester with the university last October but felt that she was not getting anywhere. Emails were also sent by her to the accommodation team (coughs) last November when they were requested photographs of the cockroaches and Miss Skeet um, received assurances that the pest controller attended today. However, Miss Skeet, who is still in touch with her former housemates, says the insects are still there and the university has confirmed a further report of cockroaches on premises has been received this month. The former social work student first noticed the pests about three weeks into her stay at the halls of residence. She arrived on September the 16th and one of ten other students living there. The the insects were spotted behind the glass in the cooker and crawling out from under the fridge. We had issues with the accommodation, with toilets overflowing and our flat got broken into. When we saw the cockroaches we were very shocked and emailed accommodation straight away. Initially one of my housemates said he saw a cockroach by the fridge We didn't believe him. Then we saw one by the cooker. That's when we said, right, we have a problem, and we emailed them again. None of us wanted to cook. We were very paranoid at the cleanliness of it. We were trying to do a deep clean of the kitchen, hoovering, mopping the floor. I cleaned out the fridge twice. We got told cleaners would come by in regularly, but very, very, sorry, very regularly but they weren't turning up at all. I also emailed about that and I feel appalled and let down. She left the University of Worcester on December the 23rd returning only to collect her belongings. I have now lost a year of my studies said Miss Skeet. She estimates her time in Worcester will cost her around £5,000 for the course and the accommodation. She and others also bought cleaning products and had to throw away before um, the infestation stopped. She added, it's thrown all my goals and future ideas as pretty much out of the equation. I came home with massive anxiety of even going back to university and I couldn't talk to anyone in the family about it as I thought it would get let them down as I've never quit or just dropped out or something of that deal. I have no idea how I am going to get into social work. There is extremely limited positions for apprenticeships 
and dropping out of uni has impacted on how I look when applying for the apprenticeships. Her 42-year-old mother, Laura Atwell, said, They were seeing about three cockroaches per day. They were big cockroaches. The support was appalling for these young people. She was so excited to be going to Worcester University. Before I went to view with her, she had already done a previous open day with her father and she had returned excited, telling us all about how friendly and warm it was and how the social work course sounded really good and supportive. And out of three other universities she had reviewed, in different parts of the country, this one she felt comfortable at. The decision to not return for Rebecca was an extremely hard one and she was leaving a course she is passionate about, having completed Health and Social Care Level 3 at Norwich City um, College. She had made some very tight friendships in the few months she had been there, also as a young person, the excitement for what her university experience was going to be like was completely ruined. They believe the seat of, of the infestation was a cooker installed as a temporary measure when the door on the old one broke. A spokesperson for the university said an issue was raised by students in October 2023 regarding the sighting of a cockroach in their flat. Accommodation staff promptly inspected the property and although they could not find any evidence of a cockroach, a professional pest control contractor was immediately engaged. The contractor visited the property four times and to treat and monitor the flat. The accommodation team also undertook a deep clean of all the kitchens in the block. The contractor confirmed that there were no cockroaches in the flat and the situation was resolved. A further concern was raised in February, which is now being investigated. Monday, February the 19th. Calls for school run ban on cars. Campaigners demand urgent action. Campaigners have heard, urged the council to act and introduce driving restrictions during the school runs at two city schools. People have long called for a school street scheme to be outside Worcestershire schools, but have renewed the plea after a child would knock down outside a school. The scheme operates at various schools nationally and sees roads closed to all traffic outside primary schools during pick-up and drop-off times. Stanley Road Primary School in Stanley Road and St George's Roman Catholic in Thornlow Walk have been suggested as potential locations. During the public speaking section of the latest meeting of Worcestershire County Council, campaigner Alex Mace said, Can the Council please establish and support trial school streets for St George's Roman Catholic and Stanley Road Primary Schools? St George's Roman Catholic is at the end of Thornlow Walk. The street is between 3.4 and 3.7 metres wide and does not have a pavement. Stanley Road Primary School is not on a main road. In November, the second child in 12 months was hit by a car driv driven outside the school. 
Is it any wonder that parents choose the safety of a car when children doing the right thing walking to school are subjected to persistent road damage? Warwickshire, Shropshire and Leicestershire have all been proactive in implementing school streets. They have requested and received funding from the Department of Transport. They have requested the power to enforce moving traffic regulation orders. They have identified candidate schools. They use officers to implement the trial school streets. Consultations are then run about improvements that can be made. Worcestershire has done none of these things. If they can do it, so can Worcestershire. Kyle Daisley, chairman of the council, told Mr Mace he would receive a written response to his question following the meeting held on Thursday, February the 16th. Last July, there was a hope for campaigners after Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport, said, I have requested a process to put, be put in place to empower councillors to deliver school streets where there is local support for them. Any proposals will be subject to public consultation and will need to be funded by the County Council's devolved funding streams. This is the best way to deliver school streets, wherever they are truly wanted. Despite this, campaigners for the scheme have pointed out that nothing has been introduced since. School streets was discussed by those who took part in a rally in Stanley Road outside the school on February the 9th. Dan Brothwell from Bike Worcester, which has campaigned for school streets for many years, said, I don't understand the resistance. It's a no-brainer for St George's. A car driving down feels out of place. And Stanley Road? There are other roads that can bypass that road. It shouldn't take a child to be injured for the issue to be raised. I think school streets will definitely happen in Worcestershire eventually. And on Tuesday, February the 20th, the headline was Driver's Trauma at Racist Attack. Man with Knife Punched Worker. A traumatised delivery driver has been left unable to work after being punched by a man with a knife while he was delivering fast food. Shaukat Sultan said he now reluctant, is now reluctant to go back to work delivering for Uber Eats, fearing a repeat attack and added, I never thought this could happen in Worcester. The 36-year-old took on the delivery job on Saturday night, February the 17th, collecting food from McDonald's. Mr Sultan went to an address given by the customer, but after not providing full details, there was a mix-up, eventually establishing with them that delivery was to an address in St Paul Street. He claims the customer racially abused him on the phone and did not answer the door when the driver had the food ready for him just before 11pm. I came outside suddenly. I realised somebody was shouting behind me, Mr Sultan said. A man was running towards me and he was very aggressive. I was about to open the bag with the McDonald's and then I noticed in his left hand he had a knife. As soon as I saw that in my mind I was thinking, is he going to stab me? Mr Sultan said the man grabbed his collar and began landing punches to his head and a forceful punch to the left side of his face, knocking his glasses off. Mr Sultan said the power of the final punch knocked him onto the bonnet of a nearby car before the, he managed to get away from the man. 
The victim, whose picture we have blurred as he fears reprisals, said throughout the man had been using racist comments about him being Indian. Mr Sultan's wife was with him in the car, waiting at the time. Called, she called the police, who attended and took him to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The victim said doctors have advised a period of rest due to the head punches, but I rely on the income. I lost my job last November and I started this. I just want to do my job to pay my bills and my rent. I'm very heavily traumatised by this. I'm worried I'll bump into him. I live in the city centre, not far from where the attack happened. It's a small city. I can't go out and get groceries. I'm not sure if I can go back to the delivery job again either. I never thought this would happen in Worcester, maybe Birmingham or London, where the crime rate is high, but not here. It's a shock. A West Mercy police spokesperson said, We received a call about 11pm on Saturday evening with a report of an assault outside a property on St Paul Street in Worcester. Officers attended, no arrests have been made and an investigation is now ongoing. Uber Eats was contacted for comment but didn't reply. For the latest news from across the city as it happens, head over to www.worcesternews.co.uk. Alfie's <coughs> tragic case cannot happen again. Changes put into action pledge. The council leader has promised changes recommended by reviews into the death of murdered boy Alfie Steele have been put into action to prevent a repeat of the case. But Chairman of Worcestershire County Council, Kyle Daisley, was challenged by a public speaker as to why the recently published review was not on the agenda at the latest council meeting. Alfie Steele died in February 2021 at his Droitwich home following months of cruelty, which left him with more than 50 injuries. A child safeguarding practice review published last month by the Worcestershire Safeguarding Children's Partnership identified missed opportunities to keep him safe after multiple concerns were raised by family members, neighbours and his school. The review found his mother and her partner had lied and deceived professionals and that the Covid lockdown had played a role in preventing usual actions being taken to keep him safe. But it also found that social workers and police had become fixed in their thinking and that people who raised concerns were not supported enough to pursue complaints through the courts. Councillor Daisley began the latest full council meeting on Thursday, February the 15th, by making this statement. I recognise how hard it has been for both Alfie's family and the wider public to learn about the abuse that Alfie suffered at the hands of the people who should have been caring for him. Those people have been brought to justice and both are serving lengthy custodial sentences following their convictions. I'm saying this today as this is the first full council meeting following the publication of the local child safeguarding practice review written by the independent author and reviewed by the national panel. I've been assured that the recommendations from both Worcestershire's children's first own inter internal review and the subsequent independent practice review have been put into action and we can do everything to ensure the safety of children and young people across the county. My heartfelt sympathy go out to Alfie's family and friends. A senior detective helped direct the arrest of a city burglary suspect from a helicopter during an airborne sting after he spotted the wanted man looking out of the car window. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> 
DC Simon Lloyd, based at Worcester Police Station, joined the National Police Air Service, hoping to catch the suspect, who was wanted for two burglaries in Warnden, in Worcester, in October last year. <coughs> the suspect had also been wanted for four years for offences in the Thames Valley Police Force, and the suspect is now in custody in Worcester Police Station after a dramatic arrest with a ground operation guided by the city detective from inside the police helicopter. In the joint operation with Thames Valley Police, DC Lloyd of South Worcestershire's proactive burglary alarm team joined the NPAS in his first trip in a police helicopter on Monday. He travelled to Woking, Wokingham in Berkshire by air to trace the suspect, identifying him from 2010 feet above the ground. DC Lloyd, who had served with West Mercia Police for 18 years, said the suspect had been wanted for four years by Thames Valley Police, um, but they decided to make use of the same individual was suspected of burglaries in Warnden. He said, we have a lot to put up with trying to locate him and we organised the assistance of the NPAS carrying out a flyover of that area of Wokingham. The area we believed him to be living in after acting on intelligence we had received. There was a, vi a vehicle interest in the, ski in the scene. As we were following the vehicle, the suspect looked out of the driver's side window and we could see him on the image. He was aware of the helicopter and was looking out of the driver's side window. Some of the equipment has an incredible zoom. The suspect drove into the centre of Wokingham and local Thames Valley police officers made the arrest in Superdrug. DC Lloyd looked on from the air as suspect was led away in handcuffs and taken to London Police Station. <coughs> he added, we were just hovering above Superdrug. That was my first time in a police helicopter and it was my first time in any helicopter. This shows we are prepared to go out of the West Mercia Police Force area to pursue suspected criminals and shows the lengths we will go to make sure offenders are brought to justice. DI Dave Knight of Proactive CID for South Worcestershire said the operation showed the willingness of officers to use those resources which were tactically available to reduce burglaries across the West Mercia, including in Worcester. Editor had indecent images. The editor of a Worcester newspaper faces a potential jail sentence for making indecent photographs of children. Rob George, who edited the Worcester Observer, admitted three charges of making indecent photograph pseudo-photography of a child when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court. The 42-year-old pleaded guilty to making one Category A image, the worst level identified within the sentencing guidelines. He also admitted making two Category B images and 36 Category C images during the court hearings. 
Magistrates were told that the images were made between March the 7th, 2014 and October the 14th, 2021 in Bromsgrove. Lauren Millichip, prosecuting, said, the offence is aggravated by the age and vulnerability of the children between one and eight years old. She added that there were also moving images found in a video file. James McAuley, defending, asked for a pre-sentence report to be completed before George is sentenced. Roger Phillips, chairman of the magistrate's bench, said the bench declined jurisdiction in the case given its seriousness. George, given unconditional bail, must attend his sentence hearing, which is scheduled to take place on Friday, March the 15th at Worcester Crown Court. The chairman told George that magistrates were granting the report, which will consider all options, including custody. George of Rowan Close Bromsgrove was also told he would immediately have to sign the sex offenders register. George was listed as the editor of the Worcester Observer, Malvern Observer and Eversham Observer on their websites on Thursday morning, but this was later removed. He has also worked as a reporter at the Bromsgrove Standard. An ancient bridge that has been battered by raging flood water is holding fast after a partial collapse created an open wound in the body of the beloved landmark. Poic Old Bridge has shown no evidence of further damage after floodwaters from the Swollen River team submerged even the archways of the structure last weekend. However, it will be impossible to see the full impact on the structure of recent high water until the river recedes. This will reveal what has been happening beneath the water, particularly in the section of structure which suffered the partial collapse late last month and remains the focus of concern. The plight of the imperiled bridge has drawn concern from across the historical and heritage community, including the Battle of Worcester Society, Worcester Civic Society and the Royal Stuart Society, because of the bridge's links to the English Civil War, part of the Wars of the Three Kingdoms. Paul Harding of Discover History, who has viewed the most recent photos taken, was optimistic that the bridge may well be able to weather the deluge. Mr Harding said, looking at the bridge in that water level, I'm impressed. It looks the same as before. Medieval builders knew what they were doing. Let's hope that below the waterline she's still holding up well. I think with the short periods between flood events, the debris build-up is looking less across the entire river system. We need some lower water levels to allow work to start. Having high water levels would delay any work. It has to be safe for work to be carried out. The bridge is treasured by historians and historical enthusiasts, not just because of its medieval origins, but because it was the scene of the Battle of Poet Bridge on September 23, 1642, the opening skirmish of the English Civil War. Worcester was also the site of the Civil War's last battle, the Battle of Worcester, on September 3, 1651, and the bridge is a surviving reminder of Worcestershire's integral part in the story of this bloody episode in Worcester's history, in British history. According to Historic England, the bridge was constructed before 1447 and was partially rebuilt during the 17th century. It is constructed from stone with brick and is approximately 60 metres long and up to 7 metres wide. 
The bridge has a brick parapet approximately one metre high with chamfered stone coping, except on the west where it is in interrupted by a road. The Grade 1 listed Poic Old Bridge in Worcester will remain closed to pedestrians and cyclists for the foreseeable future for safety reasons. Initial investigations show that part of the supporting wing wall has collapsed into the River Team, resulting in a loss of material and support for the main bridge section. The collapse of the bridge, which is also re recognised as a scheduled ancient monument, was likely caused by a recent flooding and a build-up of debris. Railway reveals timetable. The Seven Valley Railway has revealed its full timetable for 2024. As of Tuesday, March the 26th, the railway will introduce more steam and diesel hauled services within the diesel multiple unit, which is recently back in action following repairs. The D DMU fac facilitates mid-morning first departures from Bridge North, which was missed in the 2023 season. The railway will operate three timetables named ABC with the aim of accommodating fluctuating passenger numbers throughout the season. The C timetable designed for peak Saturdays will feature three steam and one diesel hauled service. Reflecting on the previous year's challenges, the railway's head of operations, Steve Wainwright, said, Last year was all about survival. We were faced with huge uncertainty over passenger numbers as well as spiralling costs and we had to be extremely cautious with our timetables. However, Mr Wainwright shared a positive outlook for the coming year, com commenting, as we approach our main running season in 2024, we can be a little bit more optimistic. Our expert timetabling team has taken all the factors into account, including the need to provide a great visitor experience to keep costs under control, to fully man our trains, stations and signal boxes from our pool of volunteer staff, and to make the best use of our small resident operational steam fleet. Visitor experience manager Lewis Maddox said, we're delighted with what the timetabling has devised. Their plans allow for an innovative timetable within a realistic budget, which can be comfortably managed within the constraints of our fleet and pool of staff. We've built in the capacity to earn extra revenue from charter trains. It's going to allow for a fantastic day out for passengers with plenty of choice of services and on many days a chance to travel behind or encounter three different types of traction. And that's why a day at the SVR is all about travelling back to the golden age of heritage rail and making unforgettable memories. A charity's bid to redevelop its Worcester home is set to be decided by councillors. The Myriad Centre wants to demolish its current building in Barbon and replace it with a bigger purpose-built facility. The centre, which is in Worcester, in Worcester, is Charity of the Year and it provides respite for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities and their families. It says the proposed development of the site in St George's Walk would enable it to work more efficiently as well as giving it significantly more space. The centre can currently support up to 16 young adults with severe physical disabilities and complex health needs. It says they are among the most disadvantaged and disabled adults in the community. Plans also include the provision of on-street parking spaces for minibuses 
an electric vehicle charging point and 10 secure bicycle parking spaces. Worcester City Council's planning committee is set to decide on the plans on Thursday, February the 22nd. Planning orders are recommending the plans to be approved, but a number of neighbours have objected to the plans. Residents have concerns over a lack of parking in the area and say that while they support the work of the Myriad Centre, its current location offers limited outside space. James Gordon said, The care and support Myriad provide is of significant community value. However, I feel that an alternative location would be better, would be better serving this development the clients the charity serves and the ambitions of the charity itself. He said that the charity's current site could alternatively provide much needed housing in the area. Last month we revealed that the Myriad Centre had been named the Worcester News Charity of the Year. Freelance fundraiser Rachel Shepherd said, the continued support of our community means the world to us. Our clients often have difficulties seeing, hearing, speaking and moving, which leads to them having complicated health and social care needs. The £1,000 donation will enable us to provide a stimulating and car uh, environment for the children, enabling them to take part in a variety of activities and therapies that support their health and physical and mental well-being. Dart sensation Luke Littler's recent rise to fame has played a key factor in a Worcester venue enjoying its busiest period yet. The Dart side, which is based on Angel Place in Worcester, first opened back in 2022 by owners Mike Davis and Dan Charlton. It took over the building that has seen many businesses come and go over the years, including Angel Chef, a Chinese buffet, Jack's Bar and Grill. But it now finally seems that the almost 100-year-old building is home to a business that will be around for quite a while yet, as it is in the midst of a popular phase. Dart Side features a series of fun activities that certainly won't leave you underwhelmed. As well as interactive dart boards, there are pool tables, shuffle boards and a food and drinks bar. We have been absolutely rammed since Christmas, said Dart Side Interim General Manager Emily Brimmel. Everyone knows who we are now, so it's amazing to see so many people come through the doors. It's different to just going out and having a drink with friends because there's so much more to do here. It's also been nice to see families coming and hanging out to enjoy what we have to offer. Darts is currently enjoying a rise in popularity thanks to the recent exploits of 17-year-old Luke Littler. Miss Brimmel did not mince her words at how much of an influence Littler had had on Dartside, welcoming in more customers. 100% it has played a part, she said. We have seen much younger lads coming to play, which is nice because it's regularly adults that are generally through coming through the door. It has definitely brought younger people to play darts. With Dartside now in a purple patch, what is the aim for the business growing forward? Growth is the aim, I think, said Miss Brimmel. We are happy growing and expanding. We will definitely have more events 
and we offer private hire. We have food and drink for everyone to enjoy, of course, from pizzas to garlic bread and plenty of refreshments. The owners are 100% happy with how things are going. I think since this busy period, we have really turned a corner in becoming more established in Worcester. Dartside is open six days a week from Tuesday to Sunday. An outbreak of norovirus has seen visiting restrictions put into place at Worcestershire Royal Hospital Medical Unit. The measures apply to the acute medical unit, Aikenbury Nil Ward and Aikenbury One Ward at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. As of now, visiting for these units is permitted on compassionate grounds only. Those wishing to visit the, these areas are asked to first establish contact with the nurse in charge. No other visiting restrictions are currently in place at other units. However, potential hospital visitors are being asked to help safeguard patients and staff by mitigating the risk of spreading the norovirus. Often referred to as the winter vomiting bug, norovirus is one of the most frequently encountered stomach bugs in the UK, notorious for inducing diarrhoea and vomiting. It can be contracted at any time of the year, although it is most prevalent during the winter season. Symptoms commonly manifest one or two days following infection and typically persist for a day or two or three days. To prevent the spread of the virus, those who have experienced symptoms are strongly advised to wait at least 72 hours post-symptoms ending before making a visit to the wards. Those battling the virus are advised to consume, consume plenty of fluids to compensate from fluid loss. It is advised to refrain from fizzy drinks and fruit juice as they can potentially exacerbate diarrhoea, preferring plain food like bread, rice and pasta. Additional advice includes resting and minimal contact with others to prevent the spread of the virus. Aches and raised temperatures can be managed with paracetamol. To keep the risk of an infection to others at bay, regular hand washing is re recommended as well as maintaining at least a 48-hour absence from work or school post-symptoms ending. The virus can spread through close contact, touching contaminated surfaces or ingesting contaminated food. Thus, regular disinfectant of surfaces and washing of clothing and bed clothing is advocated. Antibiotics will not be effective as it is caused by a virus, not a bacteria. Those feeling uncertain or in need of advice are advised to call 111 or their nearest GP. And now here are some sports stories for you. Peter? Cup final awaits. Worcester City cruised into the final of the Wiseman Lighting Floodlit Cup thanks to a comfortable 3-0 win over Brimscombe and Thrupp at Claines Lane on Tuesday night. The host dominated from the first whistle and never looked like losing the semi-final at full time. Chris Corns praises side professional attitude. It was professional performance from start to finish. I'm happy for the lads. It was a good win and we have to be happy with that into a cup final. We wanted to go a little stronger tonight to keep the momentum going into a really busy period of games for us but we also got some good minutes and, and some who have been away, Elliot Keithley and Isaac Reed. We didn't take care at times with final passes but that pitch was really sticky and if that was a league game I don't know if it would have been played but performance was alright and some players did better than they did at the weekend. 
It's job done and another game chalked off. And now we move on to Westfields on Saturday. Dylan Hart returning to the starting lineup for the first time since recovering from having his appendix removed, converted from the spot to give City a 15th minute lead after Jordan Lynn was tripped up, bombing forward into the box. Chris Corn's men probed for the remainder of the half and Liam Lockett and Hart both came close to a num- on a number of occasions but Brimscombe dug deep to keep themselves in the contest. Any hopes of a second half comeback were quickly extinguished two minutes after the restart when Kyle Belmonte's cushion pass into Lockett's stride was swept home in the far corner by the city winger from the edge of the box. There were more chances to kill the game off but the result was never in doubt and the game was eventually wrapped up within 17 minutes left on the clock. Elliot Hartley was tripped in the box and Belmonte stepped up to lash home a second penalty of the night. Um, This is a a little bit about um, Worcester Warriors. The fate of Worcester Warriors has taken a positive turn according to the Supporters Trust. Worcester Warriors supporters have revealed that two representatives with the current owner of the club, Chris Holland, to discuss future plans and potential roles for the Trust. According um, to the Trust, the Society Secretary David Verrills and Chairman Marcus McCulkey, there has been significant progress since late October 2023 when the last murmurings of the club's sale were heard. The pair were uh, invited to meet with the owner, Holland, on Tuesday, February 6th. Chris Holland was kind enough to reiterate how his involvement in Warriors came about. His tale of how he became by, inadvertently, the owner of the two rugby clubs could perhaps be the subject of a new film in Hollywood, director Bo Kerouk wrote. In immediate priorities were to balance the books by cutting the costs of running in such a large facility whilst also increasing its earnings. We were pleased to hear of significant progress on both fronts thanks to the management and 21 staff members still employed. Rumours of plans to return the Worcester Warriors men's team to the RFU's Tier 2 competition in 2025 stroke 26 was said to be clear a clear objective of those in control at six ways the trust believes that the signals are post are positive in the warriors trajectory and that they are on target to rejoin the competi- competition in september 2025 Mr Verrills emphasised the commitment to assisting in facilitating a return during the meeting when various assistance options were reportedly discussed and well received, with the Trust offered regular progress meetings in future. The Board, however, has substantial work ahead in bringing these ideas to fruition. The Trust adds that many other details were also discussed during the 90-minute meeting that cannot be publicly posted due to the nature of business transactions and the confidentiality of others. 
the pair concluded, it is our strong belief that the direction of travel is firmly back on course. We are hugely optimistic that we will be part of a packed crowd watching Worcester Warriors begin a new campaign at Six Ways in September 2025. Football, Midland League One, Droitwich Spa Six, Chelmsley Town Two. Captain Connor Collins fired Droitwich Spa to a thumping six to win over Chelmsley Town as his hat-trick kept them in pole position for a home semi-final playoff in the Midland Football League Division 1. Collins bagged two of his three in a dominant first half by the Saltman with goals from Josh Herdman and Corey Rudd making it 4-1 at the break Oliver Jeeve scoring for the visitors. Collins completed his hat-trick just five minutes into the second half and the sixth was scored midway through the second half by Alex Dugmore, as the home fateful enjoyed a goal feast at the Kingers. Spa started the game quickly, but it was the visitors who took a surprise lead when a hopeful ball for when a hopeful ball forward found Town's top scorer Jeeves, who capitalised on a ricochet off the on-rushing Oliver Sayer to tap into an empty net but the lead lasted just three minutes as Nathan Binner was felled in the visitors' penalty area and Collins stepped up to score from the spot before Rudd's header made it 2-1 inside 13 minutes. It was one-way traffic from there and Herdman raced clear of the defence and off-balance hit a low strike from 20 yards in off the post for a 3-1 lead. Worse was yet to come for Chelmsley when Collins scored his second of the afternoon after Perry Moss's cross gave the spa captain a simple tap-in. Droitwich kept up the high tempo into the second half and seven minutes after the restart, Collins netted his hat-trick and 19th of the season when a tidy move down the left flank served Spa's top scorer for another close-range tap-in. The afternoon was to get even more testing for Chelmsley when Harry Manton was shown a straight red card for dissent on the hour mark. Droitwich gave made two new signings in the week and Collins left the field to a standing ovation to be replaced by debutant Richard Smith. The former Worcester Raiders forward made an almost instant impact when his flicked header set up Herdman, but the spa youngster fired wide when well-placed and then Moss produced a fine one-handed save to deny Smith a debut goal. From the resulting corner, Alex Dugmore connected to give Droitwich a 6-1 lead on 67 minutes. Alfie Chatwin netted a consolation with five minutes to play for the visitors, but by this point, Droitwich were wasting chances to make the score more convincing than it already was. With the emphatic win, Spa put some breathing space between themselves in third and the playoff chasers, with games in hand still to play. And now cricket. Worcestershire CEO Ashley Giles admits that there is a real possibility that the county may have to leave New Road. Giles, in an interview with The Times, shared his concern regarding the constant flooding and said that the county may have to think about finding a new home in the future. 
I have to be open to everything, he said in an interview with the Times. We clearly want to stay here. This is the spiritual home of Worcestershire, and in the summer it's just gorgeous. With the view of the cathedral, it's one of the most iconic venues in the world, but the situation is just getting worse and worse. There have been more high floods in the last 24 years than there were in the previous 100. The biggest issue is whatever we do with the ground to develop it and improve it is what's happening in the middle. It is what's happening in the middle. This week, New Road flooded for the fourth time this winter and the damage that it's having on the facilities is taking its toll as the water is not clean and leaves behind chemicals and silt. Even if we develop the most beautiful ground, the bit in the middle might just not be usable, added Giles. Worcestershire are not due to play a home game until round three of the LV Insurance uh, Insurance County Championship season on April the 19th, which was arranged to give the new road the longest amount of time to recover before the season begins. The pairs are back in County Championship Division 1 for 2024 after last season's promotion from Division 2, and they play Warwickshire and Nottinghamshire before that first home game with Durham but Giles admits that fixture is already looking in jeopardy and there is a possibility Worcestershire may have to fork out to move games to Kidderminster County Cricket Ground in Chester Road Stadium should there be more flooding. The Worcestershire CEO did confirm that any decision on New Road will be down to the members but urges them to be open to the possibility that staying there might not be sustainable in the long term. And now we'll go back to some more interesting stories from the newspapers, please. And we'll start with Peter. The city's hidden gem chippies. The city is full of fish and chip shops, but some of them are all too easy to miss, tucked away in a side street or away from the city centre. Based on recommendations from Worcester news readers, here are the top five hidden gem fish and chip shops in Worcester that are not to be missed. This is not to say that these recommendations mean the fish and chip shops are better than other restaurants in more obvious central locations. The aim is just to highlight some of the great fish and chip shops that might be slightly harder to find, unless of course you know where to look. One of the most popular suggestions from Worcester News Facebook readers was the Crispy Cod in Pinkett Street in Worcester, which is well away from the city centre. It's run by Mr. Dejuric, known as Pedger, and is one of the city's longest-running fish and chip shops. The business itself has been in the city since 1930, and has a loyal following with one customer com coming to the same shop for the last 50 years, because he said it was the best fish and chip shop he had ever had. Mr. Dejuric came to the UK from Yugoslavia in the 1990s, building up a successful business. It has a 4.5 rating after 40 reviews on TripAdvisor. The top five fish and chip shops, according to Worcester news readers, are the Crispy Cod in Pinkett Street, Donnelly's in Bromwich Road, St John's, Hooked Fish and Chip Shop in Broadway Grove, St John's, St John's Fish Bar, Lambert Road, St John's, and Rainbow Hill Chippy, Aswood Road. The UK's shops bounced back from a record poor December of performance last month, notching up their biggest single monthly gain in close to three years. 
the Office for National Statistics said that retail sales volumes, which also included online retailers. It was the fastest rise since April 2021, the month when non-essential retailers were allowed to reopen following the third national lockdown for the COVID-19 pandemic. After a very weak December, retail sales rebounded in January with the largest monthly rise since April 2021. And Heather Beauville, Deputy Director for Surveys and Economic Indicators at the ONS. This means that overall sales have now recovered to pre-December levels, although if we look at the broader picture, they are still below where they were pre-pandemic. The January reading was also a lot higher than the 1.5% that economists had forecast, according to an average supplied by Pantheon Macronomics. A lot of the change was due to food shops, which saw sales increase 3.4% during the months. The only type of retailer that has a worse performance last month were those selling clothes. Sales increased across nearly all retail sectors and it was a particularly strong month for supermarkets. Miss Beauville said, household goods stores, sports shops and department store trailers were among the the reporting robust trading due to January sales promotions. A fall in prices at the pump also meant a solid month for fuel sales. Clothing shops were the only area not to see a growth this month. Sylvia Rindone, retail lead at Constancy EY, said... Retailers are normally challenged in January because customers tighten their belts after Christmas, but the latest data shows this didn't happen this year. There were sales volume growth in all subsectors apart from clothing and footwear, which saw a 1.4% fall in monthly sales volumes, she said. This is largely due to the changing role of the January sales. Shoppers no longer queue in the early hours to find a bargain, with retailers instead focusing on their attention on key promotional dates during the golden quarter. That's it, sorry. Police Chief Constable's pledge to raise concerns. The PCC has announced he will shift his focus to deliver for communities. In efforts to highlight the public's priorities, Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion will soon join Temporary Police Chief Constable Alex Murray for the next Assurance and Accountability session on Monday, February 26th. Mr Campion intends to firstly challenge the force on public confidence levels at the meeting. Although satisfaction with West Mercia Police has hovered above 80% over the previous year, it presently falls short of the desired 88% target. The main driver of confidence is contact with the police, he said, expressing his intention to raise concerns about the performance of the non-emergency 101 line, where average response times have recently risen to 4 minutes and 31 seconds. 
The Commissioner also plans to scrutinise the progress of efforts to combat serious organised crime, with an emphasis on the police force's adherence to the four strategic goals set out by the Home Office. He also intends to delve into the declining satisfaction rates among victims of violent crime. A significant portion of the meeting expected is expected to be dedicated to a discussion about how the force is achieving national policing objectives by cutting crime. Lastly, the PCC has asked for a quarterly HMI CFRS update on progress made around the national inspection on the effectiveness of the police and law enforcement bodies' response to group-based child sexual exploitation. Mr Campion concluded... As your voice in policing, I am committed to ensuring you have confidence in West Mercia Police to deliver a level of a service you expect and deserve. The meeting is a chance for me to support and challenge the Chief Constable to ensure the force is advancing in terms of confidence through their performance and addressing other key areas within policing. Plans to revamp an historic city green space are to be decided by councillors. Worcester City Council wants to spend £250,000 on creating a new entrance to St Andrew's Gardens and an accessible path through to the site of the river. It's part of a bid to create an appealing new route between the city centre and Riverside Park, which runs alongside the Severn. Plans include the creation of a more welcoming entrance at the corner of Deansway and Copenhagen Street and a wheelchair-friendly route from the pedestrian crossing to Dean at Deansway through the gardens to Key Street. Other proposed improvements include moving the original tip of the spire of the old St Andrew's Church Tower from its current location in the gardens to a, more, a new, more visible focal point close to the revamped entrance. Accessible steps would be installed as part of a new pedestrian route into Copenhagen Street car park and visitors would be able to enjoy better views of the River Severn and nearby historic buildings. The project would be funded by £180,000 from the government's Towns Fund and £72,000 from developer contributions under Section 106 conditions attached to planning permissions. St Andrew's Gardens was once home to St Andrew's Church, which was demolished in the 1940s after being found to be structurally unsafe. Its tower and spire were left freestanding, and although the original tip of the spire was moved to ground level in the 1980s for safety reasons, and a new tip placed on top, uh, is how it remains. Announcing the plans last year, the City Council said it had hoped to appoint a contractor early in 2024 with construction work due to take place in the spring and summer. The City Council's planning committee is due to make a decision on whether to approve the St Andrew's Gardens plans today, Thursday, February the 22nd. So there may be further details next week when you hear your newspaper. Pub with Hidden Depths there must be something magnetic about this traditional village pub. Certainly the landlord thinks so because he decided to return to this home from home with his family after many years away. Tucked away off a quiet village road, the old bush in Upton Road, Callow End, appears before the visitor like a mirage. 
of a bygone England emerging from the shadow of the old hills and when you learn more about the place the sense of fascination only seems to grow for there is more than meets the eye a lot more for a start the free house was saved by people power who were determined to see it keep its place in the heart of the village life like a russian doll of sorts this is a place with hidden depths and many layers which you can peel away to reveal new wholly unexpected secrets and a very present pleasant surprise how many pubs do you know that also have a coffee shop, campsite, glamping pods, a children's play park, while also ho- hosting an award-winning blues festival? I would guess your answer would be not many. You may have heard of the saying, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But at the old bush, they take this even further. They have their own aviary, with budges, finches and ornamental pheasants. Close by is a shop at the top, a deli and calf which opened during Covid. Open 8.30 to 5pm every day. It's run by joint managers Amy Dowd and Jean Hughes and offers lunches, tea, coffee and cake. Matt Williams, the landlord, returned to run it in 2015 as a free house after previously running it as a tenant for Marston's in the 1990s when Martin Weston, the Worcestershire cricketer, opened the pub. Mr Williams left in 1996 to run a pub in Hampshire but made his return when the villagers of Callowend got in touch when the owner gave them a three-year lease before they bought a lease with the help of villagers. Mr Williams drove down from Hampshire to attend a meeting in October 2014, taking the pub over again in January 2015 as he made his return. They took over after signing a three-year lease with the owner's John and Guy Davis of Worcester, who had bought the pub from the brewery in 2014. The lease had an option to buy, and Mr and Mrs Williams have now invoked that option and bought the pub outright. It's a great pub, it's the atmosphere, everything really. It's tucked away with a big garden. It's an advantage being tucked away. Most of the pubs that closed down have been on the main road. A lot of people call us a hidden gem in reviews, he said. The patio and campsite were built shortly after his return, it is a pub with history too. The front part of the pub dates back to 1854. The old bush has a big bar previously installed by the brewery. There is a dining room with a kitchen behind it. What makes it a success is a combination of good food, good beer and a good atmosphere, he said. There is something of electric co- eclectic collector about Mr Williams. There is plenty of cricketing memorabilia, much of it about Worcestershire County Cricket Club. There are murals and photos featuring the likes of Ian Botham, Damien Dolivera and Van Byrne Holder, all former Worcestershire players. Mr Holder also visits the bush sometimes. One of the big draws of the 2024 Bush Blues Festival, which offers three days of continuous live music and an extensive array of local beers, ales, ciders and wines from noon until 11pm, between August the 16th and August the 18th. The festival features 28 bands across three covered stages. County and District Councillor Tom Wells spearheaded a bid to have the Old Bush declared an asset of the community, which was approved, after which the owners agreed to lease the pub to Mr and Mrs Williams on advantageous terms. I've got um, a couple of um, short articles here. Um, The first one is about a young musician contest decided. Talented musicians from Worcester School took centre stage in a revived contest. 
the Rotary Club of Worcester brought back its Young Musician competition after a gap of many years. Six talented young musicians, a cellist, a pianist and four singers, who all attend Tudor Grange Academy, showcased their abilities in front of three judges from outside the school. The winner was cellist Patrick Belgrown, with the singer Sarah Etteridge finishing second and pianist Ewan Fisher not far behind in third place. Patrick and Sarah now go through to the district final on Saturday up against young musicians from Bristol, Cheltenham, Chipping Camden and Gloucestershire. The competition took place at Tudor Grange, Milford Road with Frankie Saunders, Molly Dowler and Iger Yannick also going for honours. The Worcester Rotary Club was in the news earlier this month after partnering up with Worcester Lions Club to recycle unwanted spectacles for use in the developing world. The Lions gathers roughly 10,000 pairs of spectacles annually from collection boxes around the city and various locations which are then sent to a central facility in Birmingham where they are sorted. As a selection of reusable glasses are dispatched to developing countries such as Papua New Guinea, Sri Lanka, Ghana, Nigeria and Nepal. Glasses that cannot be reused are recycled to finance eye care products both in the UK and internationally. And I've got a short um, little um, piece about the food bank. In Worcester, a city food bank has launched an appeal for pasta after it revealed its stocks are running low. Worcester Food Bank on Lowsmore Wharf said it is not often it has to appeal for the item of food, but stocks are now running low. A spokesperson for Worcester Food Bank said, It wasn't often we appeal for pasta, but our stocks are running very low. Can you help us by donation a bag when you go to do your weekly shopping? Where to donate food to the Worcester Food Bank can be found here. HTTPS worcesterfoodbank.org.uk Give help. Donate food. Going Green at University. University of Worcester students have hosted a week of themed activities to inspire people to adapt more sustainable living habits. The annual Go Green Week, which is organised collaboratively by students, staff, Worcester Students Union and several external organisations, features a range of in-person and online events to boost awareness of sustainable living practices. The week was packed with a mix of events, both physical and digital, that were accessible to students, staff and the community. A few of these included a repair cafe that gives people the chance to mend items before they reach landfill, birdwatching walks around the campus, community litter picks and a workshop on making terrariums. Stalls run by the students offered visitors not only a chance to learn how to create bug hotels and bird feeders, but also how to prepare affordable, nutritious recipes and waste less. 
As part of this, they also shared information on sustainable food production, reused every items and gave away free plants. Teams from Worcestershire County Council's Let's Waste Less initiative and Worcestershire Wildlife Trust, among other external companies, also shared their expertise during the week. Oldbury Park Primary School students joined in some of the activities too, while the online workshops covered topics ranging from sustainability and prospective careers, a carbon literacy taster session and a workshop on climate justice, decolonising and decarbonising. Sam Rogers, a first-year environmental management and sustainability student at the university, said it is important for the university to hold events like this as it can set the example for the community as well as influence the actions of people on campus to try and become more sustainable. Cathy Boom, the university's director of sustainability, said this success is a testament to the collective effort and dedication to building a more sustainable future for our university and the wider community. The university was named Sustainability Institution of the Year in the Green Gown Awards for UK and Ireland in 2019 and has been recognised internationally. It was also recently awarded first class honours in the 23-24 People and Planet University League, marking the 14th consecutive year of achieving the honour. A petition for a Pelican Crossing where a woman was knocked down and seriously hurt has already garnered nearly 140 signatures as comments reveal the scale of public anger. The woman in her 40s was knocked down at the Zebra Crossing in Windermere Drive in Blackpool, Worcester on Wednesday, February the 7th. She remains in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital with life-threatening injuries following the incident, which has so far led to no arrests or charges being brought. The incident happened around 5.20pm on Wednesday, February the 7th, when the beige Nissan Figaro was travelling from Blackpool towards Sainsbury's on Windermere Drive and collided with her. So far, 139 people have signed the petition to introduce a Pelican Crossing after Councillor Jill Desiree previously raised concerns that drivers were not stopping. Testimonials recorded as part of the petition reveal the scale of anger and concern about the crossing. One resident described the incident as shocking and unsurprising. Another said the crossing is a nightmare I've witnessed at lots of near misses. Lots of school children cross here, including mine. One person who signed the petition said a light-controlled crossing is a must on Windermere Drive. Another comment said this crossing is not properly lit, it's so dangerous, especially in the roadside com coming out of Sainsbury's. This needs to be a pelican crossing and makes not drivers slow down. Further comments, including the fact that there were no sleeping policemen, although there were in areas very close by, and it's very poorly lit. It can be very, very difficult to, want to spot people walking along the railing side of Sainsbury's. Jill Desiree, the Warnton City Councillor, began calling for a Pelican Crossing last February. She said, I have spoken so far to so many, many residents who have had near misses on that crossing and fear using it. This petition has for the first time realised all these stories, released all these stories. We want to thank everyone who has taken the trouble to sign the petition and we hope that many more will take this opportunity to raise their concerns this way.
We will present the petition to County Hall. Hopefully then the crossing will get the enhanced safety measures that it very much needs. A time capsule has been buried underneath the new nave flooring in Malvern Priory. It contains 77 different items including a letter to the future from the Vicar of Malvern, the Reverend Rod Cork. The master plan for the development of the Priory, the musical traditions involving the choir, the handbell ringers and the musical groups, a copy of the church magazine and many photographs and details of the day-to-day -day workings of the church. The nave floor is currently undergoing major building works in order to make it level. For the last 150 years, the path to the altar has been flanked by wooden platforms, creating a safety hazard for users and limiting the use of space for community activities. The entire floor has now been excavated and underfloor heating has been installed. The new flooring will be put in place this week, effectively burying the time capsule. The capsule, which is made of stainless steel and is the size of a large vacuum flask, was laid on Saturday by two of the Priory's youngest members. The two members are Lolo and Martha, who are both three years old, together with 92-year-old fellow worshipper Edwina Hawker. They placed the stainless steel capsule between the joists of the new floor ably assisted by Reverend Cork. The capsule was masterminded by Philippa Lowe, communications coordinator, who was given just two weeks to pull it together. She said the idea came from our vicar but we didn't have much time because the team working on the floor have been brilliant and have got it on so quickly with the work. We've highlighted many of our activities and explained how the congregation raised a substantial part of the £350,000 needed We've had lots of social events. Our vicar's wife, Rita, raised more than 7,000 with a wing walk. Members of the congregation took part in a variety show and we held an auction of promises, everyone pulled together. The capsule has a silicon seal which will last about 100 years. Details of its placement will re be recorded in the archives and also in the vestry, so that on February the 10th in 21-24 it will be opened. Reverend Cork said, who knows, with people living so much longer, it may well be Lolo or Martha who open it. The plan to level the nave floor has been in the pipeline for many years. If all goes according to plan, the Priory will reopen for all its services and events by Easter. Currently, the Sunday morning service, which attracts about 250 people, is being held at Malvern College. Other smaller services still take place in the church. A driver escaped from his car, which had landed on its roof after crashing into a car parked during the heavy rain. The driver managed to escape the Vauxhall Corsa after the crash, which happened at about 7.20am in Himbleton Road in St John's um, a couple of days ago. The crash closed the road while police and ambulance crews were on the scene along with a recovery vehicle. The vehicle suffered major damage to both the interior and exterior with the front window cracked, two of the side windows smashed. Himbleton Road was temporarily closed for around three hours as officers worked to clean up the debris and remove the car from the road. No one was hurt in the crash. 
a spokesperson for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said, we were called to reports of a car that had collided with a stationary car and overturned on Himbleton Road. One ambulance attended the scene. On arrival, we discovered one patient, a man, who was assessed and discharged in the, at the scene. A spokesperson for West Mercia Police said there were no arrests. The spokesperson also said we received a call at around 7.20am this morning of a collision on Himbleton Road in Worcester. Officers attended the incident to find one vehicle on its roof having collided with a parked vehicle. No injuries to report. 8% surge in city's footfall. Worcester saw remarkable growth in its footfall last year, it has been revealed, bucking the national trend. A new report shows the city's 2023 footfall surged by 8%. That was an average of 21,180 people per month, translating to a substantial addition of 254,164 extra pedestrians on its streets. The increase in annual footfall was revealed in a report that showed Worcester was top for the region. The annual report published by Place Informatics cost a spotlight on the foot traffic trends across 12 UK regions in 2023. Several reasons have been attributed to the surge, including collaborative efforts such as the Victorian Christmas Market and innovative events like the Starlight Lantern Parade. This also coincided with the Christmas lights switch on in November last year that ran in Cathedral Square, marking the beginning of the Christmas celebration in the city. Enhancements in lighting infrastructure and seasonal displays in aerial spaces have thought to have attracted more tourism and increased foot traffic on Worcester streets. Additionally, the city's arts and culture scene is booming, with the addition of the art spaces in the arches and extended opening and popular late-night openings at the museum. Councillor Louis Stephen of Worcester City Council and the Green Party said, It is fantastic to see Worcester bucking the trend for footfall statistics. There are many places that have dropped off in this area because of the economical matters, but I think it clearly shows how the council has worked together with BID for the benefit of businesses. I think it's a good example of the work the City Council has done for Worcester, so to see this result come to fruition is fantastic. Michael Lloyd, Centre Manager at Crowngate Shopping Centre, said, We've seen encouraging signs over the last 12 months, with more shoppers enjoying a day out at Crowngate and Worcester City Centre. An 8% increase in footfall over the last year shows the centre's enduring appeal, and we hope to build on this momentum throughout 2024. A new pedestrian crossing has been opened in Worcester City Centre. The recent development forms part of Phase 5 of the Worcester Future High Street Fund programme, which aims to improve public spaces throughout the city centre. The new signalised crossing is located on Fourgate Street and replaces the original crossing near the junction with Pierpoint Street. 
Councillor Mark Bayliss, Cabinet Member for Economy, Infrastructure and Skills at Worcestershire County Council, said this is an important part of the wider project which is playing a crucial role in improving public spaces and regenerating Worcester City Centre. The crossing will benefit pedestrians, particularly people arriving by train, as it will make the crossing from Fourgate Street Station much safer and easier. It should encourage more walking as well as opening up access to the city centre and beyond. Councillor Marjorie Blissett, Joint Leader of Worcester City Council and Vice Chair of Policy and Resources Committee said, this new crossing will in due course help provide easy access from Fourgate Street Station to the soon to be opened new route to the Arches and also the Scala and Corn Exchange buildings where Worcester's new arts venue will be created. Right, and that's the end of all our articles this evening. I do hope you've enjoyed um, some of them, and all of them, hopefully, and uh, found them interesting. Uh, so I'd like now to uh, say goodnight to you all. Uh, I will be reading the obituaries in a moment, and there'll be the telephone numbers after that. Uh, but uh, at the moment, I'd, I'd like to say goodnight, and thank you very much to uh, to Lynn and to Sue and to Peter. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Right, the thought for the day, um, this comes from um, Acts chapter 13, verses 37 to 39a. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. And the obituaries this week. Pat O'Keefe passed away on 20, 25th of January with her family beside her. She was 88 years of age. Um, her funeral service is at St George's Catholic Church on Thursday the 29th of February at 12 noon, followed by committal at Worcester crem Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society, Worcester Branch, may be left at the collection plate at the church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester. That's WR37EU. Iva Jakeman passed away on the 30th of January, aged 69 years. His funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 26th of February at 1 o'clock. Family flowers only, please, but donations can be made to Acorns Children's Hospice or left in the donation box on the day. All inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester. That's telephone 01905 22892. Joan Owens, she's died on the 22nd of February, aged 97 years. Her funeral service is at John, St John Baptist Church, Clains, on Wednesday the 21st of February at 1.30. Oh, that would have been yesterday. Um, so, that unfortunately, nobody, well, none of you would be able to attend that, unless you knew about it earlier. earlier. Um, and there was a private committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations, if you desire, you wish to, to make a donation to St Richard's Hospice 
um, and you can send that to EJ Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ompsney Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Murray Field, um, he uh, died on the 20th of January, aged 26 years. His funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium tomorrow at 1pm. Flowers or donations, if desired, for the Joseph Patrick Trust can be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Marilyn Williams passed away peacefully on the 1st of February, aged 78 years. Her funeral service... Uh, was today at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate today or uh, sent to EJ Gummery & Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. John Allison um, passed away suddenly on the 5th of February, um, his funeral will be held at the Holy Redeemer Church, Pershaw, on Monday the 26th of February at 1.30pm. Um, he doesn't want flowers, or the family don't want flowers. Donations may be made to Myeloma, UK, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, Hanley Road, Upton-upon-Seven. That's W-R-8-O-P-A. Thelma Wellham passed away peacefully in hospital on the 2nd of February, aged 86 years. Funeral service uh, was yesterday um, at Christ Church Lower Broad Heath. Um, donations, if desired, may be sent to Acorns Children's Hospice Trust uh, or they can be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Brian Martin passed away peacefully on the 31st of January, aged 78 years. His funeral service is to take place at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 29th of February at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, would be gratefully received for Cancer Research UK. All inquiries, please, care of Co-op Funeral Care, Malvern, 105 Barnards Green Road, Morven, and the telephone number is 01684 574 733. Linda Collins, known as Lynn, uh, died peacefully on the 26th of January, aged 75 years. Her funeral service is to be held at the Vale Crematorium on Wednesday, the 28th of February, at 2 pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, can be sent to Guide Dogs for the Blind Association or left at the donation box on the day of the funeral. All inquiries to AV Band, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, 01905 22892. And John Allison, who died suddenly on the 5th of February, Oh, I think I've just read that one, actually. That was the one in Upton upon Seven um, for uh, donations to Myeloma UK. 
and that's all the obituaries this week and we send our sincere sympathies and condolences to all friends and families of those people and now peter will read the telephone numbers for us that you might find useful useful telephone numbers worcester talking news <coughs> 01905 six police non-emergency 101 nhs direct 111 out of hours medical assistance between 6pm and 8pm, 0300 123 3211. Crime Stoppers, 0800 555 111. Community Risk Team Fire Safety, 0800 032 1155. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 3331. Worcestershire County Council here to help. 01905 768053, request option 3. Worcester Hub, 01905 765 765. Sense Adventures Walking for the Visually Impaired, telephone D. Jones on 01684 819796. Samaritans, free phone number 116123. Worcester Theatre's box office 01905 611427. Malvern Theatre box office 01684 892277. Norbury Theatre, Droitwich box office 01905 770154. Number 8 Theatre, Pershaw Box Office 01386 555488. I'll read that one again. 01386 555488. National Grid, formerly Western Power, 0800 917 7953. That's a 24 hour service in the event of a power cut. There is a priority service. Register free on 0800 032 8302 who will provide information, for example, in Braille, large print or alternative languages. Thank you, Peter. Well, it's goodbye from me, Peter. And it's goodbye from me, Kate. And all the very best to you all. And I do hope you have a lovely week. Uh, and keep warm. Please keep warm. Try not to turn your heating down too low and wear some warm clothing. And we hope perhaps we'll get some warmer weather soon. Let's, let's all hope so. Take care and uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Bye bye.